Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back for our second episode of the week. Today, we're going to be discussing Monday's interview with Eric Maddox, who was the interrogator responsible for gaining the intel that led to the capture of Saddam Hussein. We're going to talk about the interview and his idea of empathy-based listening. And joining me back in the studio to discuss the interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Hannah Friedemann and Parker Batista. So, Hannah, what did you think about Monday's interview with Eric? Yeah, to be honest, when it started, I was thinking this is a really niche situation. Like, I am never going to be interrogating anyone and trying to gain uh, information from them. So (laughs) I I went in a little bit skeptical, but the technique was applicable to so many situations, I thought. And I was really proud of myself because I wrote down um, early on in the interview, this reminds me of Dale Carnegie and How to Win Friends and Influence People. Then at the end of the interview, he said, my favorite book is How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I patted myself on the back there a little bit. There you go. And if you want to hear more from Eric, uh, his podcast, Creating Influence, is really really quality as far as the content goes. I've listened to every episode of his his podcast and it's really quality stuff. I would highly recommend it. He kind of mixes in his life experiences with a lot of the principles that relate to empathy-based listening and a whole lot of other skills related to developing influence in your own life. And he, he talks a lot more about the subject if you wanted to go in-depth on what he has to share. Parker, what did you think? Yeah, I loved it, man. I think it's just so much to be had and listening and conversations are biggest piece to influence other people. So I think listening plays a much bigger role in life, um, in conversation than, than I realized in the past. And, and a lot of people do realize now. And Parker, you are a counselor, Hannah, you're a teacher. So for both of you, listening is an important thing, but the kind of the question is, are there any jobs? Are there any vocations where listening is not important? And I don't know if that's really the case. I think it's really important in everything you do. Yeah, I think you'd have to completely get rid of the human interaction element of a job for that not to be an important skill to have. So so based off of Eric's description of empathy-based listening, which in case you need a reminder, he said that empathy-based listening was verbal communication with the goal to seek understanding of another person and their perspective with regards to the topic of discussion. So that's a bit of a, a lengthy a description right there. But based off of his understanding of empathy-based listening, how would you rate your ability and where do you think you have the most room to grow? I think I'm really good at it at times at work, like in counseling uh, with my clients where that is like my setting where I know I'm supposed to be a good listener, but I'm really bad at it in some other areas. So the more reactive I get to certain people and situations, the worst. I mean, the, the listening for me is the first thing to go out the window and the first thing that I forget so I would say with the people closest to me is where I struggle with it, ironically. And the people that are almost furthest to me or in a more formal setting, 
uh, is where it's the easiest. Yeah, I think sometimes the things that the people that are most important to us, sometimes those are the people that we think about being our best with the least at times. And that's definitely not a good thing. And I, I will say that the area that I have the most room to improve is just not interjecting with my own experiences. When someone shares an experience, not just being like, oh, I did something kind of like that too, and kind of going into my direction, because that's not what they're interested in talking about at all. So just being re- very careful not to to interject my own experiences thinking that they care a whole lot about those. It's so easy to do that, to go into a conversation and just want to talk about your own life and your own experiences and then see anything they say as a vehicle for, oh, that's a jumping pad and I can jump off of that and share this thing that happened to me. I would kind of agree that I think I know how to do it. Uh, Some of the techniques he was talking about reminded me of active listening, and I learned about that in communication courses and things like that. So it's not as much a new concept as it is just one that I don't ever put into practice. And I agree that the closer you are to someone, the less you feel like you have to do things like this. So you're more likely to shortchange your friends and family when it comes to conversation than your boss, for example. One of the things that that Eric mentioned is that a lot of people, when they're talking with you, they're going to give you clues as to where they want to go next in the conversation. And it was funny because when he said that during the interview, I was thinking like, oh, where is he telling me that he wants to go next? And to some degree with an interview, we had a short amount of time and some topics that I wanted to make sure that we discussed. But (laughs) I think a lot of times we don't think too much about where people are leading us. I I can say that I had a a professor in college. He did some work with, with organizations to provide them training. And one of the things he would say is when you're working in PR, one of the things you want to do is to lead people to where you want to go. So you, you, you give them an idea of what their next question should be. And that's a very purposeful thing that he was teaching them. But Eric was saying that that just kind of happens automatically in conversation. What I'm wondering is, how do you follow where people want to go without letting the conversation just get like way off topic or out of hand in some weird places? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's an interesting balance because sometimes in situations you want to lead people and you want to do that well with your words, with your actions, with listening. But I think it's even more powerful in certain settings to help them lead themselves in that direction. So it's almost like you're helping them explore kind of that rabbit trail and where they want to lead you. And in that process, they kind of figure out their general direction that they want to take. So it's not your ideas. You're just helping them figure out uh, what really what their thoughts are in that process. And that that's interesting as a counselor because that's kind of the focus of what you're supposed to be doing. Is that ever difficult for you to do kind of once again back in those personal conversations or, or do you find that your training sometimes seeps through in your personal life? Uh, key word is sometimes. Yeah. I, I hope sometimes it seeps through, but sometimes it doesn't. But to answer your question with kind of following that rabbit trail, because if you do follow it long enough or what you think is important, you'll end up in a lot of directions that maybe you don't want to take. I mean, how many times have we been in conversations where it's like, I don't have time for another 10 minutes of conversation about this thing that I really don't care about right now. So it is a struggle, all right, because time is limited and you don't, you know, just the way that humans are, you don't want to talk about what you don't want to talk about. So a lot of times the thing that I'll do in that situation is, is repeat it to them, summarize what you're saying, let them know that they're heard, and then 
gently redirect them back to where you feel like the conversation would be a little bit more productive? I think productive is a key word there because especially in the context of the workplace, Mm -hmm. a lot of your conversations, you can't really afford the time to just have it be a half hour exploration of whatever the other person wants to talk about. And you're going in with an end in mind. And so it's interesting thinking about accomplishing that end um, and reaching your goal in that conversation without just bulldozing the other person. And that is one of those things that Eric mentioned briefly in the interview, but didn't elaborate too much on. He mentioned that you want to enter into conversations oftentimes with strategy. And this was primarily as far as interrogation goes, but there's a lot of of truth to that in general. Like you, you need to have a strategy in a lot of your conversations, not in all of them, not in some conversation with family or friends, but you want to have a strategy when you go to a conversation. You can't just let it go all over the place. At the same time, you want to make sure that they understand that you're listening to them. And like you said, Parker, you can kind of maybe direct some of those questions that you're asking to a more desired end for sure. And I think sometimes it's one and the same. The direction that you're wanting to go leads through that that direction by listening to them. So in some people, in my mind, it used to be, hey, I can listen to them or I can go the direction I want to go. Yeah. And I have to pick in this conversation. And now it's like the direction I want to go involves listening to them in that sense. Yeah. And once again, his his podcast, Creating Influence, he has some some great examples of this just through his life stories. And I think if you are following, I like to say follow the reactivity. One of our professors always says that over and over again. And if you're doing that well and picking out that thing that they're leading you through, most of the time you don't end up on a rabbit trail. You end up where you need to go if you do it well. Um, I've heard conversation put into two categories of transactional and relational. So transactional conversation is when you go in and you are trying to accomplish a purpose, and then relational is when you go in and your purpose is just to build a relationship. One thing, jumping off our conversation just now that I wondered while listening to the podcast is, is it workable to only use relational communication in a setting like a school or a workplace. An example I could give would be sometimes I get um, about 40 minutes in the middle of the day um, as a prep period so I can kind of get my lesson materials together. If I'm on my game, I can plan for the coming week or coming weeks. If I'm not, then I'm planning for what am I doing this afternoon. But I might go to another teacher with a question and they say something like, wow, I am just... Uh, at my wits end this afternoon or this morning. And it doesn't take an Eric Maddox to know that's kind of a bid for asking me what's going (laughs) on in my day. But then I am faced with the choice of do I follow up with that? Because clearly they want to talk about their day and what's going wrong. Or do I value my prep time, which is the only amount of time I'm going to have to myself for the rest of the day, and go try to bow out of the conversation and get some more things done. And so it's just interesting trying to think about putting this into practice when it's not necessarily always going to be the convenient thing to do. That's a great question. Any thoughts, Parker? I think it's tough. I think it's really tough, first of all. And it's really difficult when you when it seems like one or the other, especially in work conversations. You have a limited amount of time. Um, and it's and it's hard. And the question I ask myself like is, is it best for this person for me to listen And sometimes, honestly, people want to complain and they will do it endlessly and I don't listen to them well. (laughs) Sometimes I'll summarize what they say, offer a little bit of empathy there that's genuine and then move on because it's just an endless pit where you can pour into and it never stops. Uh, But 
as far as like the relational and transactional conversation, I, I don't necessarily think in my mind I don't have to pick because I think all conversation in some percentage or another is relational and is transactional um, because you're talking and exchanging with one person. So obviously, you know, in a business deal, like let's say it's a real estate setting. Um, I was talking with a guy uh, yesterday actually to say that he says he listens to a real estate podcast and the, the biggest thing they say is repeat what the other person is saying and they'll give you more information and then they'll give you more information about the number that they're willing to settle for. So it is relational, but it's also more transactional versus like the school setting that you're saying is more relational, but there is a little bit of a transaction there with, hey, you know, I'm giving up my time for you to be able to connect in a little bit. Yeah, and I think if if we were to ask Eric, he would say it should always be relational, right? That's we know it's the right answer, but what you're asking is how do we balance that with the reality of time constraints and things like that? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the, the best approaches would would be to maybe ask a follow up question to hear from them briefly, then let them know you have a prep time that you're having to get some things done in, but saying, "Hey, can we talk about this later?" And the truth is they may not want to. But the fact that you're willing to do that, and I would say genuinely willing to do that, means that you care. And that means something to them, even if you don't necessarily get a chance to talk for an hour during your prep period. So I think that might might be a good approach. But you have to be genuine in that because if you're if you're unwilling to to listen to them and, and hear from them later on, then you shouldn't offer that. But once again it goes back to are we really empathetic? And I think that if you're not actually empathetic in your listening and in, in your demeanor, then it's not going to be effective. Like, why, why practice empathy-based listening if you're not willing to be empathetic? Because the whole point is that you're seeking to understand people. And by that, you get more influence, but you really want to make sure that you truly want to understand that person. Yeah. And you can't fake it. People find out real quick. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Throughout the interview, Eric was talking about all sorts of different uh, communication situations. And we even did that, the role play in there. Were there any things during the interview that were kind of brought up in your own mind about communication or interactions that you've had in the past? I, uh, while you were doing the role play kind of and talking about the manager, I can see that reflected a lot in myself in my classroom, actually, with my students. Almost everything I say to my students within a given day is a directive or um, an exhortation, Yeah, <laughs> um, trying to get them to do something. And there are times in the day when it's relational. But when you were, I think at one point he asked you what a response would be from the manager, and you just kind of said, oh, well, the manager would reiterate that position this is the way it is. This is a new policy. Let's just implement this with as little fuss as possible. And I was like, I do that all the time. You know, kids ask me a question and I don't respond to their concern about whatever it is I've asked them to do. I just kind of say, this is the way it is. Please follow directions. And I want to move on with my day with no more hassle. So it's really interesting thinking about putting this into practice in that context. Absolutely. And I think, you know, sometimes we think of leadership, we say, you know, are are you a leader? And People automatically go to, am I leading an organization or am I leading some sort of important task force? But teachers are leaders of little people and they're doing a very important thing. And furthermore, sometimes I think that we don't think that kids should be treated with as much, you know, for instance, respect or not treated the same as adults because they're kids. And I understand where some of that's coming from, but the truth is, Kids deserve to be listened to as well, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's even more impactful to listen to kids than it is adults. Mm. 
because people don't listen to kids more. So when they do have someone that listens to them, they, they cling to it and they, they gravitate towards them pretty quick. And, and I think the way you, you do converse with people, especially kids, matters. You want to make sure that you're communicating with them on a level that they can understand. But you can show empathy to anyone. It's not a matter of, of eloquence of communication. It's a matter of do they actually feel like you care about them and are listening to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Yeah, when I thought of... When I kind of listen to the example with the boss in the board meeting saying, or the the business meeting saying, "Hey, your lunch is now cut down to thirty minutes and seven hour," I thought, "Why is he not practicing empathetic listening?" And he might not know now how or how it's impacted him, but I think the underlying belief sometimes might be to listen is to give up power. And I think when we flip that script and say to listen is to retain that power and to be a good leader. And to empower your people, I think it flips that. But in my mind, in a lot of those situations where you might go into it like feeling like it's a little bit hostile or you might not be liked, to listen to that person, in my mind, might be, hey, this is admitting that they're right and I'm wrong. And I don't want to do that, so I don't want to listen. And that's what keeps me from listening well. Going along with that, are there things that as you think back to your own experiences and conversation, besides you mentioned giving a power, Parker, Hannah, you mentioned time. Are there other things that keep us from empathy-based listening? Yeah, I think people like to talk about themselves, and myself included. So, you know, if you tell me about, hey, this great vacation that, that you went on, instantly I think of the last vacation that I went on. So yep. I want to talk about that, and you want to talk about yours, and then we're at this this point where it is a conversation that is just a transfer of information, and we're not actually connecting. Yeah, the two that he talked about were pushing your own agenda and biases. And so I think pushing your own agenda goes along with the time time thing a lot in my mind at least. When I'm when I'm really pushing an agenda, it's because I have things I need to do, I have a time in which I need to do them and I need to get in and out of that conversation. Last night I was over at some friend's house and uh we watched a movie and then spent probably 3 2 2 to 3 hours just sitting around talking about whatever came up. There was no push for time in that conversation. And so I was willing to spend the time to ask follow-up questions or talk about whatever happened to come up, whatever anyone else wanted to talk about. But I'm rarely in that frame of mind at work where I'm just willing to, it goes along with what Parker was saying as well, just relinquish control. And it's the same in my classroom. My first year of teaching control was what it was all about. Like I just, I, I needed to be in charge of what was going on at every moment and so giving up some of that control and just letting letting someone else's voice be heard, letting them talk for a while can be a little bit scary because all of a sudden you're, you don't really know what the outcome of the conversation is going to be. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I, I was saying earlier is what you were saying as well, Parker, it's just so tempting to offer your hot take on the on the topic, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you had this cool experience? Well, here's another cool experience that I had. <laughs> and you're not, I'm not... I'm not trying to one-up people. That's not what I'm interested in. It's just like, oh, you found that interesting. Here's something else kind of (laughs) like it that you might also find interesting. (laughs) You watch this on Netflix. Here's another show. You know, you had this experience. Here's another experience similar to it. And that's, that just is not what a lot of people care about. But I think that in in conversation also, you don't want to overthink this. Like I do want to hear what my friends are doing and I, I, I do want to, to know what's happening in other people's lives. So when I'm talking with you, I don't want you just asking questions about me. But one of the things that, that Eric didn't talk about that he talks about in his podcast, creating influence is that, in your conversation with people, one of your key questions should be, 
how can I give energy to the person I'm talking to? Mm. So asking them questions that they will be excited to answer. And I think that's one of those key parts that maybe we didn't parse out quite as much in the, in the interview. Like how do we actually do empathy based listening? And I think a, a, just a, a good question to ask yourself is, is the question that I'm going to follow up with going to be something that they're excited to answer that gives them energy? And if you can do that, I think you probably are doing a good job at empathy based listening. I think the most basic level of empathy based listening is just uh, what a lot of us were taught as kids, which is when someone asks you a question, then you should ask them a question. And, and that's really basic. And you, you know, depending on how good you are at it, you might not always be asking questions that are what the other person wants to talk about at all. But there's a marked difference when you're in a conversation with someone who does that. And when you're in a conversation where someone does not, just the energy level of the conversation and how much you're both enjoying it. So when you when you talk to someone and you're asking all the questions, even if you could keep going and asking questions forever, yeah. <laughs> it just gets it like it's an exhausting conversation. You feel like both of you are exhausted because you keep having to come up with things to talk about yeah. and the other person has to continue to talk about whatever you decide the conversation should be on. And I will say that for for whatever reason, like being from the same family, oftentimes I'll come up after one of us freedomans has talked with someone and I'll come up and start asking them questions in a separate conversation and I'm looking over seeing how they respond I'm like you just got asked the exact (laughs) same question from one of my siblings didn't you (laughs) but it's it's important to ask those questions but it can be a little strange when it's it's one-sided and you can just tell for whatever reason it's not clicking you know I think one other tendency I have is to ask the same rote questions a lot and not let the other person lead. I have, you know, my set of get to know you questions or how you do in questions. And I just kind of pull from those. And I'm not the greatest always at going off my script and letting the other person direct where the conversation is going to go. And to a degree, you need to start off with some of those questions and see what type of hints they're giving you. But you definitely need to be able to hop off into their realm of existence at some point. Yeah, and when I think about the questions, I think the person asking questions has the power in the conversation or the person standing up or the person that has, you know, a a bigger role. So I want to put them in power. So I want to summarize what they're saying and give it back to them and continue the conversation. Because the big moment that I had with, with questions was in beginning of counseling, we had to sit with someone for an hour. It was a classmate and we only had two questions for the hour. And the rest of it was just summarizing. And I mean, one time I walked in and I said, hey, what's your name and how you doing? And I'm like, there's my two questions right there. <laughs> right, gone. So it was like, okay, what power do questions have to where it's a need for me to feel like I'm in control and there's no awkward dead space versus I think we can relate to people without really connecting with them. So yeah. it's like, hey, you had the similar experience. Well, I have a similar experience with a lot of people, but I don't connect with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, well, let's go ahead and turn to our key takeaways for the day. If you're going to highlight a few things that you would like people to take away from this interview, what would those things be? Parker, why don't you start us off? Uh, Get out of your own way in the conversation. That's one of the things he said. Don't go in with those preset questions, like she was saying, and don't assume anything going into it. Hannah, how about you? Yeah, my first key takeaway was developing trust as the most significant contributor to influence. So it's not about your persuasion 
or the force with which you're pushing your ideas. It's about getting the other person to understand that you care about them as an individual and they are safe with you. And my three are, first of all, influence is more powerful when gained via trust through listening. And that's as opposed to words or just sharing your own knowledge. You're going to have more influence whenever you gain their trust through listening to them. The second thing is that you should listen for where the other person wants to go in a conversation. And that's a, that's a tough thing to do, but it's very important if you want to listen to someone with empathy. And, and finally, when you come to a conversation, ask yourself why you're having the conversation. And once again, the goal should be influence gained via trust through listening. And then uh, here's my last challenge to listeners to practice this, because if you can't do it when you're thinking about it, you definitely can't do it when you're not thinking about it in conversation. So call up a family member, a friend, whoever it is, and practice basically doing this, and that is responding to feeling and content. So summarize what they're saying and try and connect how it feels and see where the conversation goes and time it and see how accurately you can summarize what they're saying without asking any questions, and I bet it'll change the way that you have conversations. That's good. That's a good word. Hannah, Parker, thanks for joining the show this week. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And three, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will help to make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and, frankly, better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. 
If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.